Welcome to Conversations with Z and Vindesh, a weekly discussion that explores common life challenges and offers practical solutions. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. That's D-H-A-R-M-A media.com. Welcome back, everyone, to this week's edition of Conversations here with Z. Uh, we got Caitlin, we got special guest Rob, and we're talking about waiting to die. And Z, the whole reason this came up, I was sharing some of my my recent trip. Uh, I went with my wife, and uh, we spent some time in the Caribbean. Just had a beautiful time. I mean, it was four days, some of the best days of my life. We were calm. Everything was cool. There was no stress. Spent a lot of time away from cell phones. A lot of time just hanging out together. Walked along the beach, swam in the ocean, which just felt very restorative. I mean, there's something that is is grounding in a literal sense about walking in the sand, swimming in the ocean. No real agenda. And I think it was kind of the perfect amount of time. We were there for four days away from the kids. Enough time to, to connect with each other, connect back to ourselves. But then we were able to, to come back to family. Uh, always great to be back with the family and with the kids. So we had this time where things were really idyllic. And it was funny because when I was out there, a lot of the things, a lot of the petty resentments that I hold, you know, the ideas, oh my God, this person that I'm married to, they've wronged me in these different ways, or they're so annoying, or they've got all these terrible habits. All of that went away just in the calmness of the moment. I felt a lot more compassionate, a lot more connected, a lot more charitable. And any of the typical behaviors uh, that my wife does that would annoy me, it, it wasn't a big deal. It, it almost didn't matter. And I think vice versa. I mean, I didn't ask her about this, but I would imagine she felt the same way. So we had this great time, great four days. And then we get to the airport and coming back to New York, flight is delayed. It wasn't that big of a deal, but there was some uncertainty around this because they actually closed off a section of the airport, which I'd never seen before. So they closed off two gates. They wouldn't let anyone around these two gates. It was some security issue. And it created a lot of uncertainty. And because of that uncertainty, my wife was getting stressed out. And she was like, what's going to happen? Are we going to get back? She's on her phone desperately checking for updates, trying to find some information about when we're going to be able to board the flight. And so it was this high state of anxiety. Now we get on the plane, get back, things are fine. We're delayed maybe an hour. But then the next day, we've got to get the kids to school. And there's more stress around that. There's stress around the morning routines. There's just all kinds of stress that for four days wasn't there. And we come back into our normal life. And suddenly all of this just descends like some locust plague or some weight that now we step back into New York. And we got to carry around this weight that we haven't been carrying before. And of course, the entire dynamic changes. So that stress at an individual level, it doesn't feel good to be walking around with that. You know, you feel like you're on edge, you can't relax. And then the dynamic with the other person, the nature of the relationship totally changes because you're not connected to that person because they're on guard and they're more willing to, to get all bent out of shape about some petty thing. And so you get into these small arguments and... When I brought this up to you, Z, you said, oh, yeah, yeah, I know what that is. That's called waiting to die. And I was like, all right, waiting to die. That's an interesting way of thinking about it. Uh, but I think your point was that you can get into these situations where if you don't have a certain harmony, 
it's kind of like everything you do together is a toll. It's a burden. And you're just sitting there passing time, hoping that the situation is going to end, trying to find some light at the end of the tunnel. And you're just killing time until you get to the place that we're all headed, until you get to death, which, of course, is a terrible way to live. Because uh, you could look at this and say, I'm wasting my entire life. I'm just in this state, going through anxiety, going through stress, going through drama, really for no reason. And it was very, very vivid for me because... I'm looking at this and I'm contrasting it with this four days, which was exactly the opposite, which was almost a reclamation of life. You know, four days together away from cell phones, away from stress, just feeling good, feeling alive. And then coming back into this other situation where, as you put it, Z, we're waiting to die. I don't know if I would put it that way, but it's a cool name for a topic. So we're going to run with it. Uh, but I do think that the phenomenon is interesting because uh, there's so many habits that we have that don't serve us at all, uh, that make us feel weighed down, crushed by routines, crushed by whatever is just going on with life. And it's not a fun place to be. Um, it doesn't feel good. It's a waste of time, a waste of energy. So if we can find a way to get out of these habits and move away from this, this staging area where we're just waiting to die to a place where we're feeling recharged, we're feeling alive, we're feeling vital, that's really where we want to be. Uh, so Z, as we get started, maybe just share some of your thoughts. I don't know if you want to expand on this topic of waiting to die or talk a bit about why this comes up, but uh, give us your insight. Of course, Vin, everything that we do here on this Dispassion Observer podcast is about promoting health and well-being and exploring topics of our daily life that can promote or undermine our health so we can navigate the right course through that. And when you think about relationships of all kinds, they are all born of the most intimate of relationships. The relationship that you have with your parents is the beginning of relationships you will have with friends, with family members, with coworkers that will lead to how you connect intimately back to the zero moment of the self when you're alone with somebody. Inevitably, if, if, if we were to follow this course, what we want to think about in the most harmonious way, when you're there to take your last breath, will you be alone or will there be someone who loves you dearly, who shares that last breath moment with you? Because as you said, we're all going there. When I use the term waiting to die, that means you're in limbo. You're that guy in the prison cell who has a triple life sentence and there's a daily miserable routine. The guard rattles your bars or whatever. You get up in the morning, you walk around your cell. They let you out for an hour. You fight off someone trying to shank you or steal your peanut butter or whatever for 15 or 20 minutes. And they put you back in the cell and you just do it again. Just a miserable, miserable, horrid existence. And you look longing for death, just waiting to die. Now that's in, 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 in another spin on that situation, there's the opportunity for a person to break free. You're looking forward to all the things you're going to do when you get out of there. That's longing for life. So when we find ourselves in relationships of all kinds and you're just stuck in a cycle and you see no way out, maybe leaving the relationship carries huge liabilities. Staying there is the known. It's killing you. So you're that person who's doing triple life and following these same routines. And that can be 
That can happen because of a lack of enlightenment. It's just purely a lack of enlightenment. You talked about how good you felt being on the beach, uh, walking through the water, sharing time with loved ones. That's longing for life. And at the end of the day, you look forward to more of that. And so you start to make plans and projections and you share ideas and you exude a certain amount of, of energy uh, and, and, and you're just very, look, very enthusiastic and looking forward to, I can't wait to do this again. And so you start building your life in that way so that you can make that happen again. On the other end, if you're in that New York state of mind, uh, rage, anxiety, fear, more anxiety, you're back in the jail cell. You don't want to do more of that. Who wants to do more of that? That is miserable. It robs you of life. It's stressful. It, it dulls any enjoyment you have in life. But yet it's easy for people to get caught up into that because of simply the lack of enlightenment. And that's where intelligence of all kind is important. There's social intelligence. There's intellectual intelligence. There's intimate intelligence, right? To be able to really discern and study a person's nature so that you can get along. It doesn't take anything from you to get along with somebody, especially your beloved. It doesn't, if, if you're there digging your feet in the ground and finding different uh, lines in the sands, battle lines with the person, you better do this or I'm going to do that, or you're um, holding kindness hostage until you get your way, uh, this is miserable and this is unhealthy. Uh, there was a statistic that showed that uh, they talked about people in miserable relationships have as much as 10 years shorter life expectancy than everybody else. People in healthy relationship has a slightly longer life expectancy than other people. So we're choosing with our behavior whether you want to live longer and have a better quality life than not. I brought Rob in here today because Rob has an interesting perspective being going through the dating system that's in place now, which is very different than in my era, where you were you were basically out there, you wanted to connect to, to, to a lady with common interests, common likes. So I hung out at the gym, I hung out at art places. I was telling somebody, I was, went to a play the other day, and I was just sharing how, told my wife, how I used to always go to theater and plays and things. And I would always meet people who had that type of they were attracted to those things. They had the same intellectual intimacy that I had. And that was the start point of whatever we're going to do with the relationship. And that's how you met people. Some of them became your lover. Some became your friend. Some of the ladies would just be people you knew all your life. But each of them elevated you. Whatever came out of it, because there was a, an underlying intelligence that was thriving and inspiring. You know what I'm saying? So... Rob, tell us about some of the stuff that, that you encounter. Well, like you said, dating is in a very different place nowadays. Um, now with um, dating apps being very prevalent, um, it becomes almost, I don't want to say creepy, but a little bit more unexpected and uncommon to meet people just in everyday life, whether it's the grocery store, the gym, the basketball court, yoga, whatever Why activities. Uh, a lot of people are so wrapped up in their own 
lives and their own digital lives as well, that anyone who interferes with their, you know, their space, even if it is in a public space, um, they're put off by it. Mm -hmm. so um, you can't even approach people. It's, yeah, it's much, much less common now. I, you know, I'm a regular at the bar where I get my work done and I talk to everybody. I don't know how, because I'm not the most social being, but I do end up talking to a lot of people mm -hmm. and I'll talk to women, I'll talk to men. Um, but I've, you know, spoken to some women who are more standoffish than, than others are. And, you know, I'll, I ask uh, women friends that I have, like, what, if I can't go to a, a place, you know, with social lubrication where you're out in public and you can meet people easily. I mean, that's, that's what bars, clubs, right? Those, these are places to enjoy yourself, but it's also places where you can just mingle with people. If that social aspect is taken out or is regarded as weird or unwelcome, how are we supposed to function? How are we supposed to meet people organically? Um, so that's a bit of a problem. Um, on the other side of it, with dating apps themselves and the, the entire internet, mm. um, a lot of people are seeking attention and validation. A lot of people are seeking short relationships, if any at all. A lot of people are seeking one night stands. Um, a lot of um, women have extremely high standards and men have extremely low standards. So it creates this absurd gap um, where, you know, there are people who are men, for example, who are like, you look at them, you're like, you're extremely handsome, you're successful. Why is nobody going for you? And it's like, well, a lot of times it's the, the fear of uh, missing out on something better. So, you know, you'll see, oh, well, he's, you know, he's great in all these areas, but there might be somebody who fulfills this, who ticks this other box for me. Wow. Um, wow. which is a bit, you know, a bit of a problem to, to say the least. Um, so people are chasing phantoms. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people have fantasies, uh, you know, of what their ideal man or woman should be. Um, and f fulfilling that on a dating app, you know, I, all it is is a snapshot and it's what you want people to see you as. It's no different than yeah. how you would, you know, portray yourself in a, a home movie, you know, a, a photo, you want to take, you know, videos of yourself to try and, and show that you're able to, you know, talk to people. Or if you go to the gym, right, and you just take a lot of pictures, but you don't actually work out, it's about the aura of it. Mm. So, you know, you can, you can pretend to be this way and hope that people kind of go for it you. It just sounds depressing. Uh, it's a wildly, uh, a wildly depressing state of things. And, and Caitlin, you weren't involved in all this, were you? No, I, I've never done that, no. Caitlin has not online, been on the dating app. You didn't do online dating? I thought you used to do that. No, I've never done that. You made that story up. Well, no, the only time I, I Rob actually created a profile for me. And it was, wow. it was hilarious. And I she got did. matches on, she got matches. She had people who were interested in her because it was the way that I created the profile for her was a very, you know, like sarcastic, humorous. It was just like screwing around, but guys would message and send messages that were, you know, I'm not going to say insightful, but it wasn't like, you know, a pickup artist kind of thing. It was actually talking that. So when you find someone who has a genuine mm -hmm. profile, a genuine, uh, per, um, not perspective, but appearance, mm -hmm. right? You want to get to know them more. 
Um, but in this, what you're describing, how do you even develop that talent, right? Like everything is based on a skill set, mm -hmm. right? The more you do something, the better you get at it. The more you fail at something, you try harder. If that isn't even on the table, if everything is based on this illusion that's going on in the digital space, how do you even develop that type of intelligence, that sensual intelligence for another person? I, a lot so of people don't even pick it pick a lot of people don't i think a lot uh, a lot of people end up um kind of selecting someone almost at random um like i i recently went on a date with a woman uh well a girl she was 24 um and she she ticked off a lot of boxes when she was beautiful um Wildly intelligent, extremely funny. She's a comedy writer uh, in law school. So why was she on the datagram? She couldn't find anybody, I guess. And <laughs> and but it's why. So kind of going back. Without that emotional intelligence, where you can't even introduce yourself to somebody and greet in real space and visceral world, how do you go? The, how do you do the next step? How is it? I don't know. I, I don't know how people will substitute one for the other because mm. i think um you know john Tay and i talked about it, how you have to have the myriad rejections you know when you're 13 14 15 when you're you know in your formative years and you have that crush and you're like hey you want to you want to go out with me and she's like no mm -hmm. and then you go home and you're like well fuck you know and you need to feel that a certain number of times and then, you know, you're better prepared for meeting people. But in this world where no one wants to feel any resistance, wouldn't they just cower away and just back away and not even try? Um, yeah. I think too many people, they, they don't want to feel fear or rejection or um, like they have to try so hard. And there are a ton of issues, mm -hmm. I think, that... that are kind of interspersed in all of this that affect both men and women on on different levels. Um, dating for women is wildly different than it is for men, um, especially on apps. And you know, it. For example, if Caitlin made a profile right now, she'd have a hundred likes in an hour, less mm -hmm. probably. I might not get that in a year. <laughs> and and you know it's just by virtue of i mean it's it's 10 to 1 right for one yeah. but um i think someone mentioned that it was it was something like 80 20 in terms of the ratio of men and women the mm -hmm. the number of of likes or interactions yeah so they said that 80 percent of the men are pursuing five or ten percent of the men on sites in general and 90% of the men are, are pursuing 80% of the women on websites. Yeah. You know, so that's a whole new phenomena and it's completely out of my league. I don't know, Vin, if you even know about all this, but it's, I, I, I've observed it. But I also bring it back to even those of us who have been through that, maybe we're in relationships, you're married or something like that. And you see, those contemporary issues seep into classic issues. So the idea of this abstract idea of materialism, 
that it's constantly about consuming, going, getting something, uh, being somewhere when the greatest place you could be is in the heart of your beloved. Like Vin was saying, walking on the beach with someone you love, sitting quietly and connecting is the seed of everything else. If you have don't have that, you can't have anything else. So when these people are going way ahead and they want to look at people's pay stubs, I've seen this and they want to know how much you make and all that. Well, you're not making that money for them. Mm-hmm. They participate in no part of your academic development, no part of your struggle or sacrifice. Why should they even have privy to that part of your life and have no investment in it? And I hear these people say, well, I'm bringing me to the table. But you're not that interesting. And you're one of many hundreds of millions of others just like you. What would make me want to turn myself over to you? And I think somewhere that's gotten lost in you guys' generation. But it, 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 it still seeps into all layers of human relationships. Is that I always talk about the lack of gratitude will equal the amount of despair you have every day. Can you be grateful that your loved one is alive and well and is in your life, right? They're in your life. You know, I always do that warning uh, thing I mentioned to Caitlin is, you know, you, she's in a fun, happy, healthy relationship with Pretty Tony. Don't go around people who are miserable. Don't go around uh, people who, who don't have good relationships that are, uh, that are watching you and wanting to undermine your relationship even maybe not consciously. I know you're pointing the finger at Rob, Caitlin, but I think, you know, I, I, I feel sorry for these fellas and, 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 and these, these women nowadays because the, 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 the arenas of interacting with people don't exist anymore. Um, and all of my time kind of hanging out, meeting people, I met people doing interesting things that I was interested in. So we started with common interests. That's how we started. Every friend I have, every relationship I had, it had its own ups and downs like every relationship, but it started with common interests. How do you do that online? It's very difficult. And I think, you know how there have been people who have met like playing Warcraft or something, you know, or like an on, uh, just a game, right? So people have met playing a game, or well, people have met kids. Are you meeting little kids? <laughs> no, <laughs> no. Who the hell's playing these games? Um, but people have spoken, you know, in if they have like a shared forum, you know what I mean, um, where they can talk about things. But I think online interactions and digital interactions have taken away a lot of. Um, like people's strengths, right? Like uh, the ability, like, to be funny, right? Like humorous. You, everybody wants to be around someone who's amusing, and I know for a fact, like, what's the saying? If you can make a woman laugh, you can get her. That's oh, that's been like <laughs> a mantra for everybody for for centuries, but you can't really do that as readily or as easily in the digital space. Plus, you guys have a lot of stuff like being offended and then correct speech and stuff like that. That can stifle just the awkwardness of a new encounter, right? Because that's that used to be kind of fun. You would 
you get to know somebody, you would tell a bad joke or you would do something awkward and they would be okay with it and you got to kind of know the nervousness. You know what I mean, Vin? It's like that's how you got to know somebody. They don't have any of that anymore. And and so they're a new challenge. And I think going across that bridge with you, we look at all of us and where, where we're at right now collectively. When I talk about waiting to die, how do you find yourself in miserable situations? It's because there's no more ardor for life. There's mm -hmm. there's that doesn't exist anymore. You're prepared for bleakness. You're prepared for another miserable day. The days, the hours, the weeks, the months just go by because I hear about a lot of people that are very lonely, even coupled up. I know mm -hmm. a lot of couples going through this right now where there there there's a deep sense of loneliness. And most of that is brought on. It's it like the Buddha said, most of our suffering is self-inflicted. You feel alone because you've held hostage your emotions in order to get something from that person, right? So now instead of being partners, you're at war. But you're locked into a very finite battle space with somebody that instead of an ally, you've made an enemy of because you're never at peace. You're never happy. You're never fulfilled. You're always looking over the fence for something else. You're always wanting the next high, the next shopping spree, the next get together, the next go somewhere. When at the end of our days, there'll be that last trip, there'll be that last shopping thing, and that person will be no more. And you'll be left there thinking and contemplating, which I've heard many people do, how much time did you waste waiting for death as opposed to longing for life? Because we're going to go. So how, how, what do we do? Why not think about ways we can enjoy our time with each other? And it doesn't, it, it doesn't need a lot. It's kind of like a good workout. You know, you can get a good workout in with no equipment. Mm -hmm. Some of the best workouts you can do is just with your own body weight, running, jumping, push-ups, sit-ups, whatever it is, you don't need anything with a tonifying, nurturing relationship, you don't need a lot of stuff. Not only that, intellectually, you don't need a lot of stuff. They don't have to like your politics, right? You put that in a special place because if you're fighting over politics in an intimate relationship, you politicize your relationship. Same thing I say about food. When you have different labels attached to your diet based on your political views, the food isn't good for you anymore. If you're a, let's say, a right-wing, uh, red meat-eating, whatever, and because your political theme is right-wing, and so you must eat red meat all the time, you're not going to benefit from that. If you're a left-wing progressive and you have labels and titles on friendly, farmed, preserved, processed foods or whatever, you're so caught up in the politics of it, you're not nurturing yourself anymore. So too in relationships, if you get into uh, line struggles with your partner over something as inconsequential as political views, then you, you got off the intimacy train long time ago. And now you're trying to figure out ways to force a person to be with you. And it's going to be at kind of the, 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 the barrel of a gun to your temple saying, if you believe this way, I'm going to be nice to you. If you don't, I'm not going to be nice to you. 
And I've seen people do that. They hold emotion and intimacy hostage. Mm-hmm. You guys understand what I'm saying? So I don't like something you did. Or they go and they sit with a group and say, look what he bought me. You see these movies and your stories on, look what he bought me. And because he bought me that, I'm going to interact with him a certain way. Now, if you don't buy me that, I'm going to withdraw kindness. Well, then you might as well get a uh, one of those dolls, the robo dolls. It's always friendly, always, and it's just as cold as your wife is. You see? And so from a health point of view, humans thrive in a nurturing environment. The less bitterness and toxic grief, grief is very toxic. So the loss of a loved one and connection and communication is toxic grief. It's like a death, even amongst friends. Lose a friend. Everybody's ever lost a friendship or argued with a friend. It's very painful and it kills you. It may not kill you that day, but it it takes hours and days and weeks off your lifetime. And the closer you are to the person, the more you engage in chronic despair or even the up and down of despair where you're getting along fine, you're on vacation, everything's going good, we're we're chilling, we're loving each other, we have a real clear perspective of our life together, wouldn't want to be with anybody but you. Then you get back Monday into your old routine and it's raving, square. I hate you, I hate you, I hate this, I hate my life, I hate this. That kills you. That's like having um, a varying heart rate. Heart rate variability is one of the things that kills people more than even hypertension or high blood pressure is your height, your heart going on a roller coaster ride in your chest. That kills you faster than any other cardiovascular disease. So too in a relationship when it's just wah, rah, rah, up and down, up and down. It's like being in a friendship and the friendship, let's say the friend has, um, I've had friends that had substance abuse problems, like my boy Shakti, right? When, when he's not on the drugs, we just had a wonderful time. You get on the drugs, you're like, man, I, I'm, I'm, I'm simply with you because of the momentum of the past. I hate who you are. I hate what you're doing to yourself. I don't trust you anymore. And then you'll get off the drugs right when that momentum subsides and it gets the relationship going again. But after a while, that roller coaster ride is just a horrible ride. It's like I'm not this, this is a, I'm not I'm not here to be in an amusement park. I love the mundane. I love being able to count on you, to rely upon you. That's what I want to build on. If I'm not looking forward to life, I'm waiting to die. That's what it feels like. You're on the roller cuz you're waiting for it to crash. You're waiting for things to go wrong. You're not looking forward to things. You're not optimistic about the future. You make no plans. You're just waiting to die. You know what I mean, Vin? Yeah, yeah, I think sadly I do. <laughs> I mean, the way you describe it, it sounds terrible. I think it's pretty accurate. This roller coaster ride, it, when I think about it, the extremes are very real. So you can go and it'll be the same person. You can go from loving the person and feeling just so connected, and you've got the spiritual bond which transcends time and space, to thinking, what are the chances that I can get away with hiring someone to take this person out because I can't stand being around them anymore? And it can happen really quickly. It's like walking around in, in New York where the neighborhood completely changes. You're fine. It's it's nice. 
sunny outside, people dressed up, and suddenly you turn a corner and people want to beat you down and take your money. So it can be this immediate flip. And it, what you're saying is is very true. See, I, I never really thought about it like that, but the roller coaster part of it, the constant flipping and flopping, it just takes a big toll. I mean, it's a big grind. It also creates a certain amount of stress, even in the good times, because you're kind of like, when is this shit going to come to an end? When is the next drop? You're on edge because you know from experience that anything can flip the situation, that even if conditions are fine, you can find something to argue about, you can find something to stress about, you can find some problem that's going to consume you, and it's a very hellish place to be. I mean, it's kind of a nightmarish landscape. And I think about this a little more generally, uh, this concept of waiting to die, because it's not just relationships. And we talked about this a bit offline. Some of the jobs that I've had in the past, I've had jobs where I've been doing things and I've thought on my way to work, wouldn't it be nice if I slipped on this ice and fell in the street and a bus ran me over just so I don't have to go in and put up with this anymore, just so I don't have to put this presentation together and see the people that I work with and deal with their stupidity. But you know what, Z, the interesting thing about that, because uh, there was a time that I felt that way, it's temporary. I mean, you know you're going to get out of it. It's it's not a permanent situation. At that point in my life when I felt that way, I was already looking for something else. I was like, I got to stay here because I got to make some money. But I'm already looking for a new position because I know that this isn't working out. And I don't want to stay here waiting to die, as you put it. That's not something that I'm okay with. I'm not okay with sacrificing my humanity for this job. My, I don't know what the right word is. My, my joy, my, my spirit, my exuberance, and just becoming a shell waiting for all this to end. And, and maybe getting to a point where you're not even waiting anymore because you're already dead. You're not even contemplating life or death. You're already there. So... I don't know how we bring this back to relationships or maybe generalize it. it part of it, it, one thing I'm curious about, Z, is I'm talking to you about this. How do we get into these situations to begin with where it becomes okay? When did it become okay to be in a situation where we're waiting to die? We've seen it in relationships, as we've talked about, and people get into these dynamics, and maybe it's, it's just the momentum of the past, as you put it. Maybe it's some fear. I see it in the corporate world as well, where people are waiting either for some some kind of death or they're waiting for a magical retirement, which is 15 or 20 years away, where suddenly they're going to wake up and their problems are going to be solved because they'll have all this time and all this money. But along the way, you've hollowed yourself out. You don't even have the capacity to live. So even if you make it to that point, what are you going to do? Because you're just a shell of what you used to be. But somehow that's okay. Somehow we've bought into this idea that eventually things are going to be all right, that we have enough time on this planet where time is going to bail us out. But as you point out, that's not true. It's It goes by much quicker than we think. And that's under optimal conditions. And then, of course, there's always the chance that fate intervenes and cuts this journey short. So we need to live with a certain urgency and imperative, and not urgency in an anxious kind of a way, but there's a certain power that I feel like we need to tap into that propels us through life, that takes us from one situation to the next to the next, that allows us to express ourselves, to build relationships, 
to keep on moving forward, whatever that means for us. I mean, wh- whatever creates that satisfaction. But I think for all of us, regardless of whether it's arts or it's business or it's something else, there's a continuous movement. And that movement through the journey is what creates meaning. But when we talk about waiting to die, it's like all of that movement ceases and we're in a period of stasis. How did we get to that point? I mean, what, why is this so common? And, and why have we just accepted that this is okay? I mean, are we just fooling ourselves? We must be, but how do we get to a point where we're so deluded and, and either we don't care, we're unaware, or we feel like something is magically going to bail us out? Well, Vin, I believe it has everything to do with a lack of emotional, or you could call it spiritual intelligence. I was talking to a man who spent 10 years in solitary confinement, 23 hours in a cage, one hour out for 10 years. And most of us think, man, I would just, I'd be dead already. I'd slit my throat. I'd starve myself to death. And he just casually said, yeah, but I knew there were a lot of people waiting to hear from me. I have a lot of people that love me that were waiting to hear from me. And so just that devotion and that carried him through something that most of us couldn't even imagine tolerating. And so that spiritual intelligence of knowing that that was beyond reach, touch, weight, or measure was part of his, his existence. For those of us who aren't going through that, the intelligence requires you to have humility and gratitude. You're not so special. I hear people all the time about how much they need in life or what, how much they're longing for. Yeah, there are real brick and mortar, everyday material things that go on where people need food in their belly, a roof over their head, and, 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 and warmth in their home. And we have to work and fight for that. But you do that so you can share that or exchange that with people you care about. And if you don't remember that, then you have nothing. You're just on the, the endless rat wheel to hell, going nowhere, as we've talked about. You're just on the rat wheel. And so that spiritual intelligence is something that will summon the higher you right away. It'll summon you back. It'll bring you back. You're sitting there with, with your friends. And I do this on a regular basis. I, I was sitting with a young man the other day who came in, he brought one of my clients and we were working out together. And I just felt so nice that there were the young people, I have some young people around me that are really cool, that are driven, that are disciplined, that are reverential, and he wanted to learn. And, and then I felt elevated. You know, I called the kid up and I said, man, thank you for that. Because oftentimes, especially us boomers, we, we, we can't make this new world out. The things that we value, integrity, loyalty, discipline are not valued anymore. And so we have no place. And then when you do that, you, you have such a great sense of living, right? It made you feel alive. You weren't waiting to die. You felt alive. I look forward to training again. I look forward to meeting you again. I look forward to sharing my knowledge and you tapping into that and inspiring my knowledge. That is emotional intelligence is for me to recognize the benefit to me. I would hope that everybody that is partnered up, you have a, 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 an intimate partner, girlfriend, boyfriend, husband, wife, whatever your situation is, and just for a moment, think about how fortunate you are to have somebody willing to share and thriving on sharing space with you. 
don't let the ego come in and poison that and say, oh, I can do better. No, you're exactly where you need to be. This is as good as it gets. It's as good as you make it. It's as good as you want it to be. What is wrong with us when we can look at ourselves every day and think, yeah, I can do better. I should get better. No, you have to be better. So by having the intelligence to humble yourself, you'll look around, you have everything you need. Most of us, we might have everything we want, but we have everything we need. Right? Caitlin's got a little apartment, roommate's gone, got three or four cats and a boyfriend. It, it doesn't get better than that. What guy would put up with cats? You know what I mean? She should be like just so like grateful. Just cook the man a little meal or something. She told me she did it. She acted like a hard ass. But I've seen her. She's pretty nice. And yeah, does she brought yeah, she cooks for him, right? That's nice. That's sweet. That's the sweet thing. And then when he does that, that elevates the man. It makes you better. And then you end up being king and queen of, the, of your world. And that's all we can hope for. But if you're never, ever satisfied, if you're walking around with a bone to pick, resentment, uh, different types of line struggles, struggling over symbolism, I need you to like my parents. No, I don't like your parents, but I'm not fucking your parents but I'll tolerate them because I'm fucking you, right? That, and so I don't have to like your parents. You don't have to like mine. But what we can do is like being divine diplomats and say, hey, you know what? Whispering, I appreciate you. Um, can you put up with my parents for a few hours? Because I love them and I know they, they don't mean shit to you and your parents don't mean shit to me. But I get it. You came from them. I get it. So let's work this out. You guys, yeah, okay. Okay, that's great. I don't have to make them believe my belief. You don't have to leave your cult or my cult. But what we have together is so good. And I feel so honored by the divine. Not by you, but that the universe has blessed me. Mother Nature has blessed me with opportunity to play out the, the prime directive with you. All of a sudden, it's just easier to deal with each other. Arguments don't change anybody's mind. So on a petty level, you have two ways of taking arguments. You can argue with the person, pout, and bully them emotionally or sensually. Or you can get into um, what they call uh, physical violence, domestic violence. You start punching the shit out of each other. That's what happens. You're trying to beat a person into submission. You're talking about somebody running away from some guy. Sneaking in her apartment, having to sneak out of the apartment. I don't know all the details, but you don't want to get to that point. You don't want to get to that point when early on, if, if you would cultivate emotional or spiritual intelligence, you can read people really well. And through the quiet of interaction, you could actually elevate a person to where you're at and they can elevate you if you are open hearted. But you can't be that way. If you're arrogant and vainglorious and all these ugly other parts of the ego, you can't sit with that person and say, maybe they're not the most in shape person I met, but they're the in most in shape person I'm with. I remember a guy told me a funny story. Uh, he told me, he says, Z, you're the fastest runner I know. Uh, Chopmaster says this all the time. You're the fastest runner I know. He said, there may be faster runners. But you're the fastest I know. And that's good enough for me, right? So 
it's like when we're with our friends. You may not have everything perfect, but you're the most perfect friend for me. I have, I've always tell you guys the story of, of my, my buddy Kev. And on a regular basis, I tell him, man, just do one thing for me. Just die after me. Because you're my boy. And I want to have you all my life. You may not, yeah, yeah, I'm ready to go, but I'm not ready for you to go. And I actually say that to him. So if something ever happened, I never held that back. I always show the love for the people I have. Not just in words, but hopefully in deeds and action and an open-heartedness. Because I'm not so arrogant to think that I'm special and I deserve good people in my life. I, I think about it every day. Kaylin, all you guys hear me say, that oh, this shit is amazing. I talk about it. our community. I say, this is just, I'm, I'm sitting on the bus. I'm sitting on the best bus ride in the world. Man, It's like going to the happy Disneyland, not the anti-black Disneyland, but the good Disneyland. I'm going to the happy town. Because I'm, I'm surrounded by really cool people. They may not be the greatest people in, the, in, in a field, but do I don't care because in my world, they're great. And, that's, and then we, that comes from my view of intimacy. That is the way you are content and happy with people in your life. Is ratchet down your fucking ego. And realize you're exactly where you need to be. And if that person is a piece of shit, that's because you're a piece of shit. So if you don't want them to be shitty, then work on your own shit. And make yourself a better person. And then be really open to developing as a human being. Most of the time when we're mad at somebody, it's been brewing for a long time. It's based on slights and resentment. And like they say, Resentment is like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. I know this firsthand experience. You have little things that piss you off. It's you that gets sick, not them. And half the time they're oblivious because they're running on habit nature, right? Your partner might be just running on habit nature. They're in the habit of being uh, succumbing to anxiety, right? Anxiety is like a drug. It's like crack or heroin or whatever. Once you get into anxiety, it's really hard to get rid of it. That's why it's a disease. And anxiety itself, can, can it, it, it is a drug. It is an addictive drug. The way it affects the serotonin, the dopamine in the brain, it's addictive. So that's why people, you would think, can't wait to go to family get-togethers that are just completely miserable. That's always intrigued me at the airport. Every holiday, people line up at the airport to go see people they don't like. That's how addictive anxiety is. I don't even looking forward to it. I remember going with a girl. You know, you, when you're young, you meet girls and you just do whatever they want to do because that's the price of getting into the uh, sex thing with them is you just go along with a lot of stuff you normally would go to. So this girl invites me to a family get-together somewhere up in New Hampshire or somewhere where her family was from. I fly up there. I'm the guest, da-da-da. And everybody's mad, and then, then suddenly there's drinking, and then there's a fist fight. Someone draws a gun on the other family members. And they say, oh, shit, this happens every year. This happens every year. There's unresolved issues. Happens every... I say, my God, there was gunplay. Why did you even bring me? Oh, it's okay. It's my family. What? No. So you see, people are addicted to drama and misery. And it can contaminate everything. It's just like dealing with if you had someone you love that was a drug addict. 
Misery is their heroin. And they want to mainline it whenever they can. So they need to go to rehab like everybody else. And I think with people like Rob and your situation you're in, is maybe learn from successes of the past. Meeting people with common interests. You're going to meet somebody who likes to work out like you do. Somebody that holds a lot of ideas like you do. And you'll probably have to be in those spaces. Right? You might have to start opening up yourself to training and working out and training people to work. Hey, hold a women's self-defense class. I mean, that's what I did. I used to hold yoga classes and all this and a bunch of girls would come. Then I would meet girls who were interested in yoga and could stretch like me. And that's how it would start. At least that's the start. At least I've kind of streamlined the pool a little bit, right? And it's still dealing with emotional intelligence, intimate intelligence, spiritual intelligence. You know what I mean, Vin? Who are you cursing out? Yeah, I got my kids who are throwing stuffies on each other. and We've got, we've got this massive beanbag. <laughs> Rebecca brought this thing back. It's the biggest beanbag I've ever seen. But she got it for free, so uh, she was excited to get it, even though we have no room for it. But the, the, kid, the kids love flopping on this thing. So uh, anyway, uh, I'm dealing with that. Uh, but yeah, it's it's funny to me. As, as we're talking, I'm listening to this. So you can hear it in the background, all the screaming, the laughing. And it's kind of annoying, and they should be in bed right now. And they're not listening to me, and it's making it difficult for our audience to hear the podcast. But despite all of that, it's real. You know, it is real. It is in the moment. It's present. It's what they're feeling. There's a bond between us that I don't think anything could break. And I could tell you, too, in, in years to come, You'll listen to this podcast or someone will listen to it, either you or the girls or Becky, and you'll miss all that noise. You'll miss the laughing. You'll miss the giggles, the tears, and them, all that, because that's what it's built on. That's, this, this is living. And when that's gone, life is gone. And it goes by too fast. Um, I look at all of the young people and the fondness for the roles that I played in their life and they played in mine, it really gives you something to push back on when life feels very barren and empty. So even this, yeah, it's real. It's real. It's very real. Hearing your little girls laugh while you're trying to do your thing. That's all that really counts. Because just imagine if it was silent. Yeah, yeah, and the times it's silent, I end up going crazy. It's like I, I don't know what to do with myself. Well, with the absence of there, there could be the beauty of the silence of meditation, but there's also the toxic quiet of an empty heart, of an unnurtured heart, and that, that's death. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, it reminds me of the other podcast we did. I forget what we called it. It was maybe six weeks ago. We talked about giving energy to fake stuff. And the more fake shit that we pump energy into, the worse off we are. And everything we're talking about reminds me a lot of that discussion. Whether it's what Rob is talking about, you go online and people are just looking for validation. Or you don't even know if you're meeting a person. I mean, it could be a chatbot, right? We have AI now. 
which can have conversations with people, even though it doesn't understand anything. It's just stringing words together. It sounds like a real conversation, but there's nothing that it can give you. Uh, you've got that. You've got the relationships. Even if people are together, they're spending all of this energy investing in the drama that you talked about, investing in fake problems, taking nothing. I mean, I do this. I, I put my hands together to show my kids uh, when they get into this dramatic phase, I'll take my hands and there's nothing in there. And I'll say, you see what this is? This is nothing. And then I'll scream. I'll go like, ah, see, I took nothing and I turned it into a problem, which is what we do all the time. I mean, we take stuff which is so trivial and we turn it. Hey, hey, yeah, I know. I know. Uh, <laughs> we just turn it into, into nonsense to the point where we lose our minds. I sent you that article today uh, that, that Rebecca sent me about a couple who left their kid behind in the airport because they were so so focused on getting to their flight. They left their kid behind. It's like, <laughs> what the hell is that? Uh, yeah, I saw that New York Post. It, somebody, they said that it was, I read the story and it said that they were charging them $27 extra to carry the baby. And um, they were in such a rush, they just said, let the airport deal with it. Yeah. Yeah, so you talk about priorities. You talk about not knowing what's real, what's not real. I think that's the biggest issue of the world that we're in, and maybe this is why people are struggling to some, such an extent, because there's nothing real anymore. I mean, Rob said it. Everyone's wrapped up in their own little virtual world. It's hard to approach people. Even if you approach people, you've got to say the right thing. People don't even know what the right thing is. I mean, there's that woman that we worked with who was helping with me with some publicity, and she was offended by what I said not because of what I said, but because she thought she should be offended. And so we had to straighten that out, and that took a 40-minute conversation. It, it's, all, it's all fake. And when you're surrounded by this fake stuff, it just drains you. I mean, you have nothing to give back. I think that's why we get to where you're talking about, Z, where we're waiting to die, because we got nothing left. Every ounce of our life that we've had, we've given to something that give, is giving us nothing back in return. And we keep on trying to pump it up and pump it up and chase and chase and we take something which is very real, which is time and energy, and we just turn it into this this black hole, this void. Right. It's, it's like it's like some sort of bad Bitcoin investment. You know what I mean? And you're just giving real money to nothing and hoping that that nothing turns into more of something. And maybe it will be crowdsourced just the right way. It's just very confusing. And so when you deal with yourself, which is what this is all about, how to be well, we know that if you have healthy relationships, that you are physically and spiritually, emotionally and psychologically healthier person, period. Like taking vitamins, sourcing your food right, and exercising. So this is one of those exercises, and it starts with ourselves by having, a, having the reins on our ego so that we can show reverence, gratitude, be thankful, be reverential towards those who are in our life, and hopefully they will have, either by example, through proxy or whatever, they can develop a high level of emotional intelligence to not inject the heroin of anxiety into their arm and feed on anxiety, turning nothing into something. They won't destroy the whole world. They won't set the whole world on fire because they're in an emotional flux, right? I always refer to it as it's almost like you're living with a meteorologist, right? 
and they're predicting the weather and you need to ask them, well, what's it going to be like today? So if you're, you're in a relationship with either at work, you know how you go to work and you kind of read the atmosphere? What's the barometric pressure today? Is it going to be a bunch of shit going on or is it going to be a sunny day? Same way in relationships. Some, you know, maybe one, or you, one person in relationship is a meteorologist. And they come home with a bunch of storm clouds. You thought it was great. You didn't even bring your umbrella. Then here it comes. Right? So we want to get away from that model. The, the body, the brain, the human condition doesn't like roller coasters. That's why they have places you go and you pay and wait in the line to get on a roller coaster. Because it's an unnatural thing. Right? So just some thoughts. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a, a good place to wrap. I mean, this topic to me, it has to do with relationships, but it's broader than that. I feel like it's pretty critical. We need that awareness, Z, that you're talking about. That Maybe I would put it this way, that we need a certain respect for the mundane because a lot of us are primed to chase that roller coaster, whether it's through the drama or it's the consumerism or it's, oh, this sense that I've always got to do more, always got to do something else. And it becomes very hard to just appreciate what you have, to appreciate the moment. If you're not present, you can't have a relationship with someone because you're not meeting at the same place at the same time. Uh, so I would just end on that. I feel like a lot of what we're talking about, uh, which is kind of ironic, uh, it's maybe the opposite of how we're, we're taught to think about the world. But to really get back to that point where we are chasing life, we have to be content with the mundane. Uh, we have to revere the mundane. We have to stop seeking the next thrill. And in that, we can find some peace. Uh, we can just enjoy this beautiful journey that we're on. Uh, otherwise, in, in the chase and in the frenzy, we're hauling ourselves out. We're becoming shells. And that's not a place we want to be. Well, it's something, uh, and I'll finish on this, just kind of a, a story a real brief metaphor, so to say. I remember enjoying riding the trains in India, right? The trains are always on schedule. That's one of the few things in India that's on schedule is the train. They're like the trains in Japan almost. And I was going to visit some friends and um, going up to Dehradun and, and the hill station and then going over to Calcutta or whatever. And I remember spending a little more time and then we were, we were late to the train. And there were a bunch of tourist folks, and they were just anxious. They were just nervous, anxious. Oh my God, we lost the train. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. We're panicking, and they were they were running around asking if there was another way to go catch the train. And and the people just casually said, you know, the trains are on time. Another one's coming. Just relax. Enjoy the experience of now. Or not, you can just wait to die. You can just sit there and eat yourself up. Destroy yourself, lose this moment, because there's always another train coming, and we're all on a journey, and there's, there's nothing you could do about it. So just relax, take stock of where you are and who you're with, show appreciation for that, because eventually it'll be your turn. It'll be your turn. But until then, enjoy where the fuck you're at. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, it reminds me of the end of that movie, Gladiator. Yeah. you seen that? Yeah. Yeah, where Russell Crowe finally dies, and they kind of send him off and wave to him in heaven, and the guys are still alive. One of them says, I miss you, my friend, 
but it's not my time yet or something like that. You know, like he's going to go live out the rest of his life, be with his family, do what he has to do. And we can do it. We, can, we have a choice in how to do that. We can wait at the train station angry, pissed off, and anxious, or we can just make the best of it. That's all we got. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a review on Podbean, iTunes, or your favorite podcasting app. Each five-star review helps us bring you more unique and insightful content. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. Peace.